George wouldn't go. Because that is like his greatest nightmare is to be sort of, that he's in and they say he's crazy so he can't get out. Yeah, I thought it was great. I did not expect the twist at all. I love this kind of movie. I think it's probably the best of the kind I've seen. It's the most bizarre and genius concept. You couldn't possibly have predicted that if you started watching this movie. (laughs) Welcome. It is Fright Club Live back at Gateway Film Center in Columbus, Ohio. And she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Fright Club Podcast. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) And we love it because of crowds like that. That's right. So glad to have you. We've got a great movie tonight that we were surprised to find out not many people had seen, but it's a pleasant surprise. Yes. Because we're going to show it here tonight. That's right. And it's 35 millimeter print. Session nine tonight on the big screen. And uh, first of all, that it's sort of funny, and it's it's really the timing is good because uh, our last <laughs> our last Fright Club podcast we were graced with the presence of Bruce Campbell. Yes, we were. He joined us last time out, and if you listen to that podcast, one of the things he said was. He can always tell when reading a script that a movie is going to be terrible if it has two words in it, and those two words are, you okay? <laughs> Which <laughs> makes me think of David Caruso. Immediately. Immediately. I don't know if you've ever saw David Caruso's TV show, that cop drama back when he, but he said that 95 times per episode. You okay? You okay? He said it all the time. <laughs> so it must have been a terrible show. Yeah, but it's very, it, it's timely because it it timely. all that's how it all comes together here at Fright Club. So <laughs> it, was a, it was great to have Bruce Campbell on, on the Fright Club. We talked to him now maybe three or four times. Yeah. I think you were the most composed. Well, yeah, each time I get less giddy. Yeah. Less but he goofy. did thank you for your enthusiasm. He did thank me for my enthusiasm. <laughs> of course, he's coming to town. It's a big Bruce Campbell day uh, next Friday yes. here in Columbus because not only does Evil Dead Rise come out, but he is going to be in town That's next right. Friday for his Bruce Arama show. Oh, I thought you meant the trunk of our car. No. <laughs> well, you know. No. Uh, yeah, Bruce Arama. So there's going to be the last fan standing game show, and then they're going to show. Evil Dead 2, Dead by Dawn. Yeah, so at the same day that Evil Dead Rise comes out, so that'll be a lot of fun. And it was a lot of fun to have him on the podcast, so thanks, Bruce. I know you're listening. We appreciate uh, appreciate you (laughs) coming on again, and thanks for all the great comments. And before that, we've had other bonus content. That's right. We had uh, Kyle Edward Ball. We got a chance to um, do the Q&A for him when he came here to show a 35-millimeter print of Skinnerink, and so we recorded that, and that was our other bonus podcast. Yeah, that was great. That was great. Great, great uh, questions, great answers, and a little intro from, uh, from Chris and John, and that was, we were so glad to do that and to get a chance to record it and make it a podcast. And then going back before that, we want to say thanks again to David Henson Greathouse, who right. joined us to talk about makeup effects. That was a really cool podcast. That was really, really great to have somebody who's such, uh, if you don't know him, he's a, really a master at horror makeup effects. He worked, for example, on Tusk and, and on Obstacle Corpse. I don't know if you're familiar with that movie at all. What? I know. And he came on and uh, really schooled us, I think, he on did. why certain, I mean, he liked our choices in terms of which are the, what are the most iconic horror makeup, you know, in film. Uh, but he really had incredible insight as to why they were good choices. And that was super fun. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. So uh, I think that catches us up. Right? Really quick, I want to say two things. One is that, speaking of Obstacle Corpse, tomorrow we are driving to Chicago because filmmaker Joe Swanberg has a video store, like a VHS store called Analog Video. And they're just VHS tapes that Joe Swanberg himself owns and rents out. 
um, and you you get like a subscription and you can go in and just take home two of Joe Swanberg's VHS tapes and watch them until you bring them back. And he also has a micro theater there and he emailed us out of nowhere and said, would you like to show your movie here? We said yes. Very geeked. Yes. Very geeked about that. that. If you can't come to Chicago tomorrow, you can <laughs> see Obstacle Corpse at Studio 35 in like a couple of weeks. On April the 28th, 9 p.m., Studio 35, we're part of Cinema Columbus. Please come and see it. Please. Yes. Thank you. And one more shameless plug about Obstacle Corpse. If you haven't seen any of our social posts, we have got distribution for it. We've, uh, we've nailed. <laughs> Thank you. Glass House. Glass House. It will be distributing uh, Obstacle Corpse, and we should have some info very soon about where you might find it streaming. That's right. And believe me, it, we are gonna, we'll come to your house we will. to let you know when <laughs> you can watch it, because those fir that first week when you drop off... It's really the first is, weekend, like yeah, the first three very days important. are really important for rentals. Yeah. So. So, uh, so thanks for all that. So now, right, I think let's we're get up into to it. date. Yes. All right, let's get into it. When Richard's... Poll from a couple of weeks ago that let us know that not many people had seen Session 9, so we're going to show it tonight. And the topic that popped into Hope's head that we're going to talk about right now is... The Patient. The Patient. I always love a horror film. I mean, I like a medical horror film. I like uh, sort of institutional, you know, asylum, closed down asylum. Horror. I mean, there's something super creepy about, you know, the morgue or like just, you know, that basement or the windowless wing that used to be an asylum and now it's just haunted. I love all of that. But I also love when, when films make a really good use of like one creepy patient. We were talking about Smile just before we started podcasting. That's a great example, like where she just keeps walking past that guy. Yeah. He's just sitting there smiling and staring. That's a really, really good one. You know, a couple of others that come to mind. I don't love the movie, but Shutter Island does a nice job with that sort of idea. Um, Thirst, that's another one with his, you know, you just love where they go with that, this idea of the patient. There are a whole bunch. There's a ton. Trauma. I just rewatched Trauma. Do you guys with Dario Argento? Um, that's a great one. When you finally figure out who the patient is in that one and what they put her through, that's that's unseemly. Eyes Without a Face, which of course we've shown here, uh, there's any number of patients that not oh. good things happen to in that one. Yeah, then the one you skipped over was David in American Werewolf in London. Right, David yeah. Kessler, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's a great patient. Or, and also, uh, you know, uh, Cabinet of Dr. Dr. Caligari. I mean, the whole movie is yeah. told from the point of view of a patient. So. Yeah. It, they're used, I think, really effectively. It can be used really effectively in films. And so what we wanted to do was choose the five we thought were the most effective use of just that one dude or that one woman, that one patient. And yeah, because right away in almost all the uses of the patients, you can, you can sympathize, you can empathize because patients are sort of helpless. Yes. You know, you're, you're, you've given your power to someone else. And especially in a movie like, say, Shutter Island, they have control over whether mm -hmm. you're even free again. Right? Now, because I, you're the patient. Can I tell this story? Sure. Because I think we talk a lot about the things that I am terrified by. In fact, I talk about it sort of obsessively on this podcast. Well, we don't, we really talk about what scares George. But when <laughs> the film Unsane came out, do you remember that one? Uh, Soderbergh, Unsane, George wouldn't go. Because that is like his greatest nightmare is that to be sort out. of, he, that he, he's in and they say he's crazy, so he can't get out. They won't let him out. And that, so he wouldn't go see it. Yeah, that was a, that was a, I eventually did see it, yeah. but uh, yeah, when it first came out, I'm like, oh man, that's uh, that's some, not something I want to, because then they'll, they'll just take me away. <laughs> it's one of those, yeah, just one of those things you can't explain. It just gets you in a oh, primal, yeah. in a primal way. But that's, I think that's something that people can tie into and can 
can uh, relate to about patients because you give up a certain amount of your your freedom, or you right. can, and it could get could get exploited as it often is in these movies. So that's where we're going tonight, and we're going to watch a great one, and we better get into it. We've got a top five, and this is one that kind of slipped through the cracks, at least for me. This is from the late '70s, so you know I love it. It's a comatose hospital patient who harasses and kills through his powers of telekinesis to claim his private nurse as his own. From 1978, it's Patrick in Patrick. <laughs> A chilling investigation. Beyond medicine. Beyond the five known senses. In that twilight world between life and death, Patrick is preparing his very own day of judgment. Patrick. Have any of you seen this movie? Okay, nice. This is one of those movies that I saw as a little kid. You know, it vies with like um, Motel Hell as maybe the first scary movie I ever saw. I remember I was homesick and it was on like daytime TV and my dad wasn't paying any attention. If you haven't seen it, the guy kind of looks like Michael Shannon, right? With these like giant big eyeballs. And he never blinks. Right. In the entire film, his eyes are open the whole time. Even as like a six-year-old, I'm like, oh my God, is somebody going to like drip something in there? Oh my God. <laughs> but he's so weird looking. He just stares at the, at the ceiling. And With no dialogue. No, not. No, not a word in the whole thing. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, when you're just used to him being this vegetable and other stuff going around, you know, then they, he just turns his head and he looks at his nurse. And I was, I was this little, I just shrieked. And so, um, and so I've watched it since then, you know, and it doesn't hold up as well as I would hope, but it isn't bad. It's a Richard Franklin and Everett DeRoach, who, who made a lot of, of, you know, Australian exploitation films. They made Road Games, which you should absolutely see with Jamie Lee Curtis. That's probably my favorite of theirs. Um, also, Psycho 2 is theirs. They made a lot of those, like when Australian horror was a big cult thing. Uh, but this movie is, is real indie 70s Australian, it's fun, weird Slow boil of a movie. It's also part of a, it seemed like a late 70s, or mid to late 70s into early 80s, telekinesis movies. Oh, seemed yeah. like there were a real rash of those as well. Yes, I think that you're correct. I think that that was a big deal. And I think it ended when, um, when Jason was um, stuck down in the lake because of telekinesis. I think that was the last telekinesis movie, <laughs> in the Friday the 13th there. But I think you're right. There were a lot of them for a while there. It was very hip. And it's funny, this movie comes to mind when you hear people talk. It's about that, I guess it's an urban legend or whatever that comes up every now and then about Silence of the Lambs, that Hannibal Lecter never blinks. Right. Well, he does. Yeah. But this he does is what, it. He literally does right, not. Right, he does not. No. Yeah. But, and the combination of no, no blinking and no dialogue, and then you say when he does something like turn his head, it's, oh, just, yeah. it's so creepy. It's super creepy. And I guess there was a, a planned sequel that was never filmed called The Man Who Wasn't There. It was planned for this, but it has never gotten off the ground. Well, the, it actually was a bomb in Australia. Yeah. It didn't make any money until it got shipped overseas, and then it, it and then it, it took off, and it was popular in the United States, and then the filmmakers went on to make a bunch of other stuff, but I yeah. guess I'm not that surprised that they didn't make a sequel. Well, only, I think, what did we say? Only one or two people here tonight have yeah. seen it, so maybe it could mm, get on the list for future. Know. You never know. And that's Patrick from 1978, uh, kicking off our patience in horror. Moving up to number four. Okay, well, this is the one we're going to see tonight, so we won't talk much about it. Tensions rise within an asbestos cleaning crew 
as they work in an abandoned mental hospital with a horrific past that seems to be coming back. Mary Hobbs is the patient in session nine. So the loonies are outside in the real world, and here we are with the keys to the loony bin, boys. <laughs> Might actually want to be grateful, and you're about to make some decent money. What's the catch? Patricia Willard scandal, 1984. I want you to try to remember what happened 24 years ago. Use your imagination. I want to come home. I am so sorry. And again, we're not going to say a whole lot because a lot of people haven't seen it. Right. But, but we, we definitely want you to come down, down afterwards. After right. Because I'm your... very, I'm very interested in Me your too. take on this movie. Somehow, I, I think it's going to be a better reaction than we got with Hakazuzu. <laughs> Jesus, hoping. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> so please come down. But yeah, this is Brad Anderson, of course. Who this was? Was the this machinist, the movie right was, before yeah. the Machinist? But yes, it was. Yeah, it was. And it, he's he's an impressive filmmaker. Yeah, and then and then after that was Trans Siberian. So that's like three really exceptional movies in a row, and then it kind of went right in the toilet but mm -hmm. he had some <laughs> he had some great ones and this this is probably i think the most crowd pleasery of his films That's, i think you just invent that word i, I like crowd it pleasery. crowd pleasery uh, he also he was inspired to use danvers mental hospital because he drove past it every day and he just drove past it and drove past it it's creepy mental hospitals oh, creepy, creepy yeah. so he came up with uh, an inspiration for this movie and uh, it was one of the first feature films shot using sony's 24p hd video Back in the day, it shot 24 frames per mm -hmm, second. Mm -hmm. So that was a, a big thing in the day, one of the first ones to use it. Um, but again, we well, want to get your impressions when but, we're all done. But so. keep your eyes peeled for a Larry Fessenden sighting. Right. Larry Fessenden, horror cult favorite. That's right. Pops up in this movie. One hour and 37 minutes later. Yeah? Yeah. It's cool because we're also going to talk about this on our next podcast on horror movies about people who don't work very hard. <laughs> I was telling him as we were sitting up there, the first time I saw this movie, I think I had as much anxiety over the Monday <laughs> deadline as anything. I just kept putting like, they aren't getting very much done. No, they're not. I don't think they're going to get that bonus at all. Every time you turn around, it's time for a break. That's what right. have you done? <laughs> you haven't done anything. They haven't done anything at all. I always, you know, I always feel so bad for Jeff. Yeah. Like the whole time I'm like, oh, Jeff. And, and I think the scariest, I think a lot of people do. For me, the scariest um, scene in the film is when the lights start going off behind him and he just is running towards you yeah. with a... Oh, poor. And then, but then he's just eating Oreos. And he puts his arms out like, get, let's get a hug. I'm just eating your Oreos, uncle. Oh, my God. Yeah. Poor Jeff and that terrible haircut. I like that. <laughs> Mullet head. I like that the scene that you were talking about with yeah. the lights. There's a number of well-constructed shots yeah. in cinematography. Yeah. I mean, they use the confines of the building, you know, inside and and, and shots, and of course, the, the swooping fuck you shot oh, as they come swooping <laughs> the in. fuck you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's classic. And you can see right away that building. You know, we said earlier how he was inspired because he drove past it. That is a freaky-ass building. Yeah, it is. That's you, super spooky. Yeah, you could see, a, especially a creative person like that, just driving past, oh, I got to do something with oh, this yeah. building. Very Overlook Hotel. Yes. So you were just talking about how the... They use the, like the swooping. It's it really. They took like the best parts of a found footage film with a lot of the first person perspective things. Yeah. But switched it around. So they they took like the best of that and made it into and not 
found footage film, but you still got that kind of like tension of all of these coming around the corners that I, I don't think any other movies have really done that kind of like blend before. Yeah, I thought about that, and I, I can totally see where you, where you see that. And I think a, a lot of, after this film, there were a lot of found footage films that were like inside abandoned um, asylums, which I think, now that you say that, have kind of stolen that from this, although he does make it very cinematic because he does then switch to these uh, like aerial shots of the entire sort of campus and things like that. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good that's a good point. Yeah, at the risk of uh, shots fired on this, but I I kind of think this is a perfect movie. Um, the sense of place is really really strong with it. You know, you you mentioned the Overlook Hotel. It really reminds me of The Shining. Yeah, and that the the sense of Danvers is so much of what makes this movie scary. And uh, a lot of it that it takes place during the day. You know, a lot of the scariest portions of the movie, especially the last, you know, the third act of it, takes place almost entirely during the day. And you don't see that a lot during horror movies. And I think that that just speaks to the skill of, of Brad Anderson and, you know, what he was able to accomplish with this movie. That's awesome because, as you know, one of the greatest horror movies of all time, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, takes place primarily during the daytime. And I think that that's a great that's a great point is that there are so many things that give you the sense of place and like like the shining of the place being haunted without like the shining beating you over the head with like traditional haunted house kind of tropes mm-hmm. but you get the sense that this place that you're in is is cursed and you're totally fucked because you came here. Well and then right away or early on in the opening minutes you get that foreshadowing about People want to come back. They're trying to get out. They're trying to come back, which is, ooh, that's going to be creepy. This was my first time seeing this movie. I thought it was great. Yay. Um, great pick. Even considering David Lynch's Mulholland Drive is playing on the other side. I was the one that transitioned in the middle of the film to this one, and I am wow. glad I did. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought it was great. I did not expect the twist at all. I love this kind of movie. I think it's probably the best of the kind I've seen because I, I don't know, the other ones I've, I can think of are like High Tension. Oh, sure. Which I thought it was better. So I, I'm, I'm moved by this. And um, an open window was also kind of cool. So, yeah. I'm glad Very you cool. liked it. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Yeah, it's a, it's a fun one. I mean, it's not a fun one. It's it's horrible. <laughs> like the 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 lobotomies that they're not oh. they're not fun so much. I heard Vernell disliking them loudly. But <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's what I was gonna say. If you're gonna see a horror movie, you really need to see it next to Vernell. You do <laughs> because it was a visceral experience. Lots of nope, nope, nope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Vernell. The scenery was so well done that. It's so creepy, an empty chair in the sunlight. And I remembered, I saw it 20 years ago, and I remembered about the baby. And then the first scene of the boiling pot on the stove, and then they kept showing the boiling pot. Yeah, there's a lot of really great editing in this film as well. When, you know, something will happen to one of them and you quick cut to something happening simultaneously to somebody else someplace else in the building and somebody else someplace else in the building that I think sets up a kind of, um, yeah, like collective dread that I thought was really, really effective. And also um, kind of subtle sound cues because one of the things about the boiling pot is that after you can't see it anymore, just for a second you can hear the bubbles. And you're mm-hmm. like, that's going to come back. And spoiler alert, they didn't make the deadline. They did not make the... No bonus. 
no, no bonus, bonus for, anybody. for you. <laughs> you know, I just want to like it's it's a kind of a it's a kind of a a, a short scene, and and it doesn't really feed that much into the entire uh, film. But I love any mention of like satanic panic from the 1980s and regression therapy and how eventually they were like, no, um, none of this is real. And we fucked up an entire generation because we said that it was real because I, uh, I mean, it didn't happen to me. I wasn't in regression therapy, but like I was around that human beings actually talked about that. And they said, Oh no, like her dad buried her alive with snakes. I like, I knew people who said things like that. Because I lived in rural Ohio in the in the late eighties, and so anyway, I love any time, even in a passing mention, people bring it up because I don't think enough people realize that people really did say things like that happened, and it really did ruin entire communities. And I counted at least two David Caruso UOKs. Yeah, were there more? Were there more than two? <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I can't not see his face and not think of that. And now, of course, and he came through with two UOKs. He came through with two. So that was just a push over the cliff. Well, good stuff, guys. Thank you very much. So that's from 2001, Mary Hobbs in Session 9, number four. Moving right along. Well, this is a favorite. In fact, we were just talking about we were uh, just talking our about favorite uh, guest from last, last episode. From 2002, Elvis and a black JFK stay in a nursing home. Yeah. Where nothing happens until a wayward Egyptian mummy comes and sucks out the old people's souls through their anuses. Hate when that happens. The two decide to fight back. This is Bubba Hotep's Elvis Presley. <laughs> what we have yet, Shady Rest, is an Egyptian soul sucker of some sort. Some kind of Bubba Hotep. You know, a mummy hiding out, feeding on the sleeping. <laughs> He can just keep on feeding unless he's finally destroyed. Don't make me use my stuff on you, baby. This is the, like this is the most fun movie, you know. And and uh, I had a conversation. W well, when the most recent Elvis, when the film Elvis came out, we were talking about who was the best on-screen Elvis, and of course, Bruce Campbell was mm -hmm. clearly. I don't think even Elvis was as good at being Elvis as Bruce Campbell was. <laughs> I can't believe you didn't tell him that when we talked to him. <laughs> I have a hard time forming words when Try I try to, to kiss him. up to him even more than you did. <laughs> oh, but yeah, this is a lot of fun. And we showed this one. This was a fright club. We yep. showed this one here, and it's that's it is. It's an incredible crowd pleaser. Joe Lansdale wrote it, like just an iconic horror writer, and of course, um, Phantasm director Don Coscarelli mm -hmm. directed it. So yep. it has a pedigree there. It but, does. But I don't think, given those two filmmakers, I don't think you would expect it to be as funny or as touching as it is, because it's really a metaphor. Just for how we just discard our elderly, and it's and it's, but it's not like Hallmarky. It's you know they're you know all of the the patients there. They're flawed human beings. Mm -hmm. They get to have a history of not being very great, but at the same time being valuable and and worthy of empathy. So it's a it's a smarter movie than I think you might recognize given the synopsis that Elvis Presley is alive and. <laughs> 
battling a mummy. Um, <laughs> but it's it's just a great. It's just all around. It is a great movie. Yeah, and it was uh, you know a low budget movie, so that explains why even though you have the character of Elvis and they flip on the TV to an Elvis movie marathon, you hear no Elvis songs and <laughs> you see no Elvis clips from his movies because they did not have the budget for that. No, I'm sure they didn't. I'm not sure that Elvis's estate would be all like pro this movie. Oh really. come on. Wow. <laughs> and uh, apparently, author Joe R. Lansdale, who uh, yeah, who you were talking about, mm -hmm. wrote this, came up with the idea when he saw the original, the Mummy, the 1932 version, and the main villain is I'm a hotep. Uh, yeah. And thought it was it was funny if it was an East Texas mummy where he's from to be Bubba Hotep, yeah. and the idea went from there. But then how you get Elvis and a black JFK into it is just inspired. And Ossie Davis is incredible. He is. he is incredible in this movie. I mean, he's he's great in everything he's ever in, but he's absolutely incredible in this movie. And that is Elvis, the character of Elvis. Elvis is the patient. I guess you yes. could say JFK was the patient as well. He was, but, but uh, Elvis. But mainly Elvis. Gets the nod here in Bubba Hotep from 2002, and that is our number three in Frightful Patients. Uh, moving up to number two. Well, we've talked about this movie once or twice, again from the late 70s, a man tries unconventional psychologist therapy techniques on his institutionalized wife amidst a series of brutal murders. The patient is Nola from The Brood. Never before have you faced anything so strange and sinister, so bizarre and unnerving. Until now. You can run. You can hide and hope they won't find you. But you won't escape. Once unleashed, the brood will destroy anyone who gets in their way. David Cronenberg's ultimate experience in inner terror. Starring Oliver Reed and Samantha Egar. The brood. They're waiting for you. More David Cronenberg. What? We love the David Cronenberg. We were just I talking know. about that in Happy Hour. Oh, yeah. More David Cronenberg films. Oh, here's yeah. here's one. Here's a favorite. Oh, yeah. And also Oliver Reed. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. It, you know, that's a that's a marriage I didn't know I needed is David Cronenberg and Oliver Reed. He's just so Oliver Reed in this movie. He's so unseemly in this movie. Oh, my God. He's great. He's unseemly pretty much uh, in no, every in movie. everything. He's so great in this. Dr. Hal Ragland and his uh, psychoplasmotics where yeah. he, he helps you get through your rage it seems like a really great idea by turning your rage into things like ulcers and tumors and monstrous growths on the outside of your body. Who is signing up for that? I'd rather just grind my teeth. Can I just continue to have rage in the way I have it? Always body horror with Cronenberg. I know. Always. It's so great. It's so great. And of course, Smith Agers plays Nola, the patient. Her rage comes out as these puffy coated little monsters who look just like cute little kids until you see them in the face and then they claw out your face and they ah. you know they go for the jugular and they murder you and it's the most bizarre and genius concept you couldn't possibly have predicted that if you started watching this movie and the way Cronenberg not only I mean through most of the film you're just so struck by this I this like this perfect image of like Canadian innocence these little blonde kids in these puffy pointy hatted coats but then but then we get to know Nola, mm -hmm. and that's the great, amazing scene when she's, you know, she's in her therapy session with Dr. Ragland, and she just opens up oh, her, yeah. her gown, and you see all of these uteruses on the outside of her. Oh, my God. It's just insane and that was, in the most glorious way. That was achieved with stuffed condoms oh. uh, for that, uh, that effect, and it's really the image that you see a lot that sums up this movie. And the character, Cronenberg uh, wrote this, 
in the middle of a nasty divorce, yeah. which, you know, it's probably no surprise when you see the movie that was inspired by divorce. And Samantha Eggers' character was inspired, a lot of the characteristics of his, his wife at the time. So yes. he worked out, he was working out his own rage through this movie. <laughs> and for some reason, I guess the movie, when it was uh, transferred to other countries and, and dubbed, it took on the name Chromosome 3. Huh. Which led some people to think it was part of a trilogy, which it's not. It isn't. But but I'm curious if does that mean that these little puffy coated demons did one of them grow up to be Brandon Cronenberg, whose film we're going to show next month? Ooh, Ooh. fan theory, <laughs> fan theory alert. Yeah, next month is going to be Brandon Cronenberg. Yes. Yeah, antiviral. So, uh, but Cro David Cronenberg's The Brood from 1979, and Nola is our uh, patient number two. And we've got uh, we've got session nine coming up here in a few. So let's get up to number one, man. This is a classic. This is from 1990, and a police lieutenant uncovers more than he bargained for as his investigation of a series of murders, which all have the hallmarks of the deceased Gemini serial killer, leads him to question the patience of a psychiatric ward in Exorcist Three and Patient X. Damien. <laughs> Kinderman. Kinderman. Yeah. This, <laughs> this is, I mean, I think, uh, I think probably everybody here will agree, this is one of the most underrated horror movies and one of the best horror sequels ever. There are so many moments in the hospital that are just unreasonably terrifying. But then when you finally realize that the poor, sweet, lovely priest who took his own life at the end of the first movie is now trapped in there as, with, possessed by a serial killer, I have to admit, this would be the one, I think, drawback for me in this movie is that he was possessed by Satan and now it's just a serial killer? Meh, but whatever. It's a small, it's a small knock, well, I think, and on an it, overall great film. I think you're right that over the, it has gained a lot of love over the, the decades since it's come out. And I think it's amazing that it came out as well as it did when you consider that that whole, that whole plot line was a, a compromise with the studio. Because William Peter Blatty, of course, who he wrote the original novel, right. The Exorcist, and ended up directing this movie. Right. That wasn't in the book or his original plan at all, bringing back Father Karras. It was sort of an, the, the studio want, it needed some connection to the original Exorcist, and it was a compromise that it came out as well as it did, I think, is, is a minor miracle. Yeah, but it's great. I mean, it's, it, it's, a, it's a great compromise It to does make work, because, yeah. Uh, yeah, because he does a really great job, even though he's, he's not really in it very much, and he's confined to this, right. to this bed. But I think the fact that they kind of hide him for most of the movie, and you're just... It's like whatever the source of that evil is, like the repercussions every place else in the hospital are massive and crazy. And Patrick Ewing is an angel. What? Is that Fabio? What am I looking at right now? <laughs> this movie is crazy. And I've said this before, that actually for me, uh, for almost everybody, the scene, of course, where you're looking down the corridor for the longest, longest time, you're looking down the corridor, there's nothing going on, people are just doing rounds, and then all of a sudden that body comes out and follows the nurse, oh. and you know the nurse is about to die. That's maybe the best jump scare in, in all of cinema. But for me, the scariest moment, I know you're gonna, you know what I'm going to say, mm -hmm. is in the confessional. That voice of that old lady in the confessional is scary as... She bled a great deal. It's a problem that I'm working on, Father. All this bleeding. 
And then all these horrible things happen in the church. I also, uh, as you know, sort of preoccupied with Catholic horror. And, mm -hmm. and I think that, that this movie actually does Catholic horror far better than the first one did. Well, and it's, it's interesting, too, that uh, it treats Exorcist II, the heretic, like... Like it, it never it, happened. But it doesn't really refute it either. No. And it, it's interesting, as we're looking forward to, and we hear about the next Exorcist coming out, and, and we hear now that Linda Blair is going to be in it, how they mm -hmm. treat that Reagan character, because she's mentioned only passing in this film. Mm -hmm. And, of course, Exorcist II, the heretic, was all about her and those characters. And then this movie dealt with the characters that weren't dealt with in The Heretic, mm -hmm. like Kinderman and Dyer and Father Karras. Right. So really makes me even more interested in, in how they're going to treat heritage characters and maybe whatever is going to come next with, yes. the, uh, with the Exorcist, the planned Exorcist sequel. Because so, originally, when I heard about it, I thought, oh man, are really? Are you going to do it? <laughs> but now I'm intrigued. Now I'm really hoping they can, they can do it justice. But I'm with you on the, the jump scare in the hallway. Yeah. That's, a, that's an all-timer. But uh, yeah, I'm with you on that jump scare. And I think they... I'll probably go back and want to time it one time. How long it takes in that hallway before the jump scare comes out. Yeah, it's a, a long it's time. It's a long time. And you're just looking and what's going on, and then, man. Very patient. That is a great one. Yeah. And I know you mentioned that confessional uh, scene before, and yeah. it's, a, it, it's very effective as well. But Patient X is just fascinating. Exorcist Three from 1990, and that is why Patient X is number one on our Frightful Patients in Horror, and that gets us ready for the movie we're going to see tonight, Mary Hobbs mm -hmm. in Session 9. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, by all means, we want to get your thoughts, especially if you haven't seen it, or maybe if you haven't ever seen it on the big screen, get your thoughts on about that as well, because it's a 35-millimeter print. So we'll get you on the podcast here uh, when we uh, get done with the movie. Come down and let's talk, and in the meantime... You can find us on the normal socials, of course, at Fright Club Pod is uh, the uh, Twitter account and uh, Mad Wolf Columbus on Facebook and Instagram. And, of course, the main website where you can find all of our podcasts and movie reviews is madwolf.com. And what about on Facebook? If and on Facebook, if you're not on our Facebook group, Fright Club Podcast, come on in. Come Just join request us. to uh, be admitted and we'll get you right in there. It's a lot of fun. We have fun stuff and funny stuff and serious stuff, too, talking about horror movies and what's coming up. It's all a big community and we're glad you're here. Next time out, looking ahead to next next month, mm -hmm. we already talked about this, mm -hmm. that we're going to be showing. On May the 12th, we're going to show Antiviral, the right. uh, Brandon Cronenberg's first feature film, which is super great and very unnerving. And we're going to talk about Contagion in, in horror as a horror theme. Yes, that should be fun. So much going on. We talked about uh, Bruce Campbell next week and Obstacle Corpse at Cinema Columbus. So uh, lots, lots of way to connect. And uh, we hope to see you again at any and all of those events. And keep in touch. But well, we got... Session 9 here in just a few minutes, so until next time, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And this is the Fright Club Podcast. He's rightful, my friend. That was a good one. It was a good one. Thanks, you guys. <laughs> <laughs>